0: to the gruesome twosome movie reviewsome episode 10 part 2 kill bill 2 now let's get this started To another episode unfortunately I am by myself again because Jess just clearly got sick of my shit and doesn't want to do this anymore no I'm joking <laughs> we should be back hopefully fingers crossed back together next week but for now I am here to bring you the second part of episode 10 Kill Bill 2 so with that being said let's start at the start because it's a very great place to start and that is with before we even get into the main film is the opening credits so we go back to uh, the church where we see the bride played by Uma Thurman still uh, pretty much all bloody laying on the ground in a church you can hear Bill but you don't really see much and you know that she's about to be shot in the head when it jumps and it jumps to the bride in a convertible and the real old school style driving where you know the car is stationary and there's just like a background <laughs> that's just moving. Oh, I love it. it. It's just, it takes you back. You know, it, it's just a pure Quentin Tarantino nod to the film of yesteryear, really. And it's such his style and I love it. Love it, love it, love it so much. But anyway, we go back to the bride talking in the car and she's like, well, I bet you thought I was dead, which (laughs) reminds me so much of Billy Madison (laughs) with the clown. Hey, kids, (laughs) I bet you thought I was dead. (laughs) I just had a hemorrhage in my head. (laughs) Oh, God, who are we? Just does fucking Kung Pao in Kill Bill 1 and here I am doing Billy Madison in Kill Bill 2. Oh, God help us. (laughs) Anyway, she's talking to the audience and, you know, she's explaining, you know, you think she's dead, but really she survived. She roared and rampaged to kill the deadly vipers who killed her and or tried to kill her and destroyed her wedding or wedding rehearsal. And she jokes at the camera and she goes, I've killed a hell of a lot of people to get to this point. But I only have one more. And when I arrive to my destination, I'm going to kill Bill. Credits. (laughs) Opening credits. You get the opening theme song that screams Quentin Tarantino. And Kill Bill comes on the screen. And it's just, it just warms my heart. (laughs) It's everything you want in a Tarantino film and more. And this is exactly why, and I think Jess will agree with me, this is what we love about these films. You cannot mistake a Tarantino film for another film. You just can't. He has his, I was going to say thumbprint, but with him it's he has got his footprint all over everything. You know, from the cinematography to the sound to the actors he chooses, it's very him. He has his own style and flair and that's exactly why we're doing this Tarantino Month is to pay homage to that because we absolutely adore it. So with that being said, that's the opening credits and then we go into chapter six because it's following on from the previous film that ended with chapter five. So chapter six, Massacre at Two Pines, which is a flashback. So we go back again to the start before the wedding, like before, you know, the shooting we get the whole lot so still in black and white very classy you get the bride discussing what were the headlines and the papers after it and I was massacred at two pines and it all, like all the articles always said that it happened at the wedding and she goes well the ha- it actually happened at the wedding rehearsal it didn't happen at a wedding and so we go inside the church and we see the bride her soon-to-be husband tommy uh, and her friends and they're discussing with the wedding planners or i think they own the church the church owners um mother and father <laughs> weird uh they're discussing with them what's going to happen on the day with who sits where and what's going on and they're having this weird back and forth and then out of nowhere you just hear this what music (laughs) or what song do you want at your wedding (laughs) and you turn around and there's this real suave cool looking jazz type guy sitting at a piano and tommy looks to the bride and they're like I don't know. We don't know what song we want. What song do you want to play? And he's just like, love me tender. I'm just like, okay. <laughs> like, sure, go for it. And then the father turns around. and He's just like, that's Rufus. He's the man. <laughs> so Rufus, the man, is going to play love me tender at their wedding. <laughs> so, it's just bonkers. Like the way they talk is just bonkers and I love it. So they go back to discussing the wedding and you know the finer details and they're like well we have a rule you know you have the bride's side and the groom's side but the bride doesn't have any family so they're like well you know the groom has tons of family so he's going to just fill up the whole lot they're like we can make an exception this one time and they go back to um, mother or the wife of the father of the fucking church (laughs) or whatever they are um, and she's just like you can't have no family dear and just like really drilling into her that she has to have family here. Now, as someone who doesn't have like contact slash much family, I don't blame her for getting pissed off at this. Because <laughs> if this was me at my wedding and this bitch is trying to drill into me that I need to have family there, I mean, she's a fucking assassin, ex-assassin. Like the way she composed herself is crazy. Because I would have just beaten the shit out of her. Feel <laughs> like there's nothing to do with you. What are you doing? If I don't want family here, God damn it, I ain't going to have family here. So, fuck off. Instead, <laughs> she does the better thing, or the right thing, which is to turn around to her friends and say, this bitch is driving me nuts, I'm going to grab some air. So she walks out and, you know, we get all of a sudden the slow mode walk of her going to the door where you look out the church and it's nothing. It's just desert. But the shot of her walking and then seeing that door frame with the desert is stunning. In black and white as well, it's just, it's so classy. It's so beautiful. And it's so Tarantino. (laughs) I'll probably say that a million times. So if you guys want to make like a drinking challenge and take a shot every time I say Tarantino, now's your chance. (laughs) Go grab your booze because you need it. So she walks out the door. And you can hear this beautiful flute, like pan flute. I think it's a pan flute. Just a bamboo, bamboo flute? We'll call it, I'll call it a bamboo flute. It's probably wrong. Correct me, but I'm going to call it a bamboo flute. I don't know if that's an actual term, but it is now. And you hear this flute playing, and she walks out the door. She turns around, and there he is. The one, the only Bill himself, sitting there on a little bench just outside. You know, against the wall of this church with a flute. She turns around and she's shocked. And he stands up and they have a little bit of back and forth. But as they're having a bit of back and forth, we get a Tarantino fucking classic. And get some really good foot shots. (laughs) We see Bride takes a step. But we don't just see her take a step. We zoom in on her feet. As she takes a step, Then we go back to Bill. And he takes a step, And we zoom in on his shoes. And then we go back to the bride. And we zoom in on the feet again. And it's just back and forth while they're talking to each other as they slowly get towards each other. And, you know, it's not a Tarantino film unless you've got feet in it. And there's your first feet shot in the first fucking chapter one. Well, six in this case. Typical. (laughs) Very typical. So they have this really awkward tension between them. They're like, what are you doing here? And... You know, she's talking about her life and what she's doing now and how she doesn't want to be an assassin and she's pregnant with a daughter and all this sort of stuff. And then she's like, Well, are you going to come into the wedding? And she's like, he, Sorry. She's like, Are you coming to the wedding or are we going to stay for the wedding? And he's like, Only if I can be on the bride's side. And she's like, The bride's side's very lonely. And he's like, The bride's side was always lonely. <laughs> it's so overdramatic but it's so good and so they walk in and she introduces him as father so obviously husband-to-be is just like over the moon that she's actually got family and she's like well he was in australia but turns out he's here now and all this random bullshit to make up a story of who he is and then we see her go to stand at the front and that's when the camera Slowly pans out of the church. And I mean, really slow. It is just backing up out of the church. It comes up out. And then as it comes out of the church, the shot gets wider. And as the shot's getting wider, you realize that that's where the deadly vipers are. That's where these assassins are to come kill them all. And they, you know, they're standing there in all black. They've got their guns and whatnot. And they just storm in. And all of a sudden, all you hear is and shots everywhere and it's just this massive fucking shooting um and then it just stops and then we get this really small scene where it comes back to present day and we see bill talking with his brother bud and they're talking about how the bride somehow survived she's killed the crazy 88 and bud's like you telling me that she got through 88 assassins and he's like well no they just call themselves the crazy 88 because it sounds cool you know, that's it. And, you know, they start talking about the beautiful, absolutely stunning fucking sword that the bride has. <sighs> you know, this Hatari Hattori, Hanzo sword. That's just, oh, this sword. I have such an appreciation for anything Japanese, including anything that's crafted well or just comes, you know, from some sort of heritage. And, I know this is a movie, but the sword just looks beautiful. <laughs> it's so nice. And, you know, they're discussing Hanzo swords and how she's used this one to kill everyone. And then Bill turns around and is like, well, Bud, do you have yours? Because I kind of need it. And Bud turns around and he's like, no, nah, I pawned it. <laughs> I got rid of that bitch. I got rid of her fast. And Bill's just like, the sword is priceless. And Bud's like, well... No, it's 250 bucks worth. <laughs> this beautiful sword and he got 250 for it. Like, fuck off. And then Bill's talking to Bud about how, you know, he should prepare himself and she's probably going to come, you know, to kill him. And Bud's like, well, we deserve to dive. But then again, so does she. And then cut. We get the black screen and we move on to Chapter 7. The Lonely Grave of Paula Schultz. We interrupt this podcast for a quick promo break, but don't stress, we'll be back soon.
1: When we come home from a long day of teaching kids or laying pipe, we find a long list of responsibilities just waiting for us at home, like wrangling our kids or taking them to their activities, cooking a meal, doing the laundry, or just picking up everyone else's shit.
0: And how did we decide to use the minute amount of free time that we actually do have? We gave ourselves yet another job, and we started a podcast.
1: We wanted a space where we could talk about the things we love, such as sports, movies, music, and our families.
0: And we also wanted a place to vent about the things that bother us, like our co-workers, or if our favorite team missed the playoffs in the last game of the season, or if McDonald's decides that they don't have any large lids, even though they're a huge company that should never have that problem. You know, when I think of the dynamic of our podcast, I think of myself as like the tough power forward like Owen Nolan, where you kind of remind me of a speed finesse type player like Patrick Marlowe.
1: I see what you're saying. When I look at our dynamic on the podcast, I see myself like Thierry Henry, smooth like butter on the pitch, ready to score that goal. And I see you like Zinedine Zidane, ready to headbutt any asshole that gets in your way. We talk about these topics and so much more on Level the Playing Field. Check us out wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi there. My name is Chris. I'm the host of the Cult Film Companion Podcast. We are the home of movies that are off, under, and ahead of the cinematic radar. I'm a firm believer that a cult movie can come from any time period, any director, any movie studio and covers a wide variety of genres, often within one single movie. It's all about the legacy that these movies have built up over time. So please tune into the Cult Film Companion Podcast. We are available now on every major podcast platform. Join our Facebook page. Follow us on Instagram, Cult Film Companion Podcast, all underscores in between those words. Follow us on Twitter, at CultFilmComp. Send us messages for movie recommendations. To- and remember to keep it cold, But don't drink the Kool-Aid, because it'll make you sick. Or kill you. Take care
0: see that wasn't too long now back to the episode so at this point it's very bud so we're watching bud as he drives off to the titty bar that he works at where lo and behold so does sid haig like the fuck where the heck, where the hell did he come from this bitch is the bartender and for some reason i completely blanked that that was the case because re-watching this, I was just like, okay, I probably you know could skim through a lot of this because I know most of it because I've watched it so many times. And then he came on screen and I was like, holy shit, he is in this film. So rest in peace to the fabulous Sid Haig. But anyway, Bud walks in and Sid goes, well, the manager wants you. So Bud gets called into the manager's office. Where we see the manager and a good old stripper doing some coke. Because what else would you do in the middle of nowhere in a stripper bar? Like, why not? <laughs> so, but the bouncer at this stripper bar and, you know, eh, there's no one there. So, there's no one to really, you know, bounce as such. <laughs> Very clear to the manager. So, the manager's just like, well, you're telling me I'm paying you for a job that doesn't exist. And then Bud realises that he's put his foot in his mouth and fucked up. So the manager takes a whole bunch of shifts off him and goes, well, you know what, you can go home and fuck off. There's one job you can do here before you do. And then you can wait for me to call you. But just make sure you see Rocket to get this final job before you go. But then the manager (laughs) turns around and he goes, that fucking hat. Because Bud is wearing this cowboy hat and he clearly wears it everywhere he goes. But the manager hates it. I don't know why. It's such an odd thing to hate. (laughs) So strange. Bud goes to leave and he sees Rocket, which is the name of a stripper, which I don't know why, but that name is just horrible. Like, why not have something a bit more cliche? Be like candy or something. (laughs) Why Rocket? It sounds very masculine for someone who's clearly not very masculine. And she tells him that she has a job for him to do. Because the toilets have overflowed and there's shit water everywhere. So he has to go clean that up before he leaves. So he does that. So we see him get home, which is a trailer. And he's very hesitant to get inside. You know, sort of like that, like someone's watching me sort of feeling. Like you can tell that that's what he's got going on. But he does, he goes inside and then the camera slowly pans down. And we get a shot of under the trailer. And there she is. There's our main bitch. The bride is sitting there under or laying there under the trailer. And she rolls out. And she's doing the full like Mission Impossible style thing. Like she's got the ski mask on. And it's very dun 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 dun. And she's like waiting there. just so standing there. But you know she takes a shot. And she opens the door, and within two fucking seconds, you get BANG! Bud's sitting at the door with the fucking shotgun, and he just blows her ass out the door. She flies. This bitch fucking flies out the door, landing on her back, on the dirt, and he's just like, I bet you weren't expecting that now, were ya? So he walks up to her, and he explains that he shot her with rock salts, and he's always wanted to kill her and he broke his brother's heart and what was me story. (laughs) As she's laying there, essentially what looks like dying. She's not, but she looks like it. (laughs) He goes and calls Elle. Um, Elle played by Daryl Hannah. First of all, stunning. Absolutely stunning. (laughs) And second of all, She's obviously another assassin. So, or part of the Deadly Vipers. Explains to her that he shot the bride. But was only with rock salts. But she's going to die a slow death. But he's managed to get his hands on her Hanzo sword. And then offers it to Elle for a million dollars. Which Elle accepts. So she's like, I'm going to come by in the morning. You know, we'll drop off the money. Sort of cuts to like later in the night. Where the bride is waking up. And she's tied and she's bound. You know, we see her in the back of his ute. Not truck. The Americans. <laughs> anyway. And um, you see Bud comes to see her and is like, wakey, wakey, eggs and bakey. And all I thought was, wakey, wakey, hands off, snakey. <laughs> and he goes, you know, he, he moves her out of the truck car, ute, whatever we want to call it he takes her out of the ute and puts her in a wooden coffin like a really basic bitch wooden coffin, puts her in and um, nails it down, plops her in the ground and then we go to her in the coffin with a flashlight, now I always thought this was strange like why give her the flashlight like why is it to taunt her? And if it is to taunt her, how is it taunting her? I think it's just a bit odd, but anyway, you see her struggle and she screams and she's trying to get out using the flashlight, and then eventually the flashlight turns off and we get to the end of the chapter. Which brings us to chapter eight: The Cruel Tutelage of Pay My. So chapter eight. <coughs> so chapter eight starts as a flashback. And we see Bill playing his bamboo flute again with the bride at a fireplace, like a campfire sort of thing. And he tells the story. He tells the story of Pei Mai.
2: Once upon a time in China, some believe around the year three, head priest of the White Lotus clan, Pai Mei, was walking down a road, contemplating whatever it is that Which just another way of saying who knows. When a Shaolin monk appeared on the road, traveling in the opposite direction, as the monk and the priest crossed paths, Pai Mei, in a practically unfathomable display of generosity, gave the monk the slightest of nods. The nod. Not returned. Now was it the intention of the Shaolin monk to insult Paime? Or did he just fail to see the generous social gesture? The motives of the monk remain unknown. What is known were the consequences. This morning, Pai Mei appeared at the Shaolin Temple and demanded of the temple's head abbot that he offer Pai Mei his neck to repay the insult. The abbot at first tried to console Pai Mei, only to find Pai Mei was inconsolable. began the massacre of the Shaolin Temple and all 60 of the monks inside at the fists of the White Lotus. And so began the legend of Pai Mei's five-point palm exploding heart technique.
0: And what, pray tell, is the five-point
2: palm exploding heart technique? Quite simply, the deadliest blow in All of martial arts. He hits you with his fingertips at five different pressure points on your body. And then lets you walk away. But once you've taken five steps, your heart explodes inside your body. And you fall to the floor.
0: So after that, we find out that the bride is going to be taught... Or a student of Mai. But she has to be really, 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 really polite. Can't look at him a certain way. No American sass, as he says. And yeah, we go from there. And then we get a whole little training sequence. And her training sequence is phenomenal. It's, you know, her and Bai Mai, who is this old Chinese guy, white bun on top, long, luxurious, you know, moustache and beard type thing. And he's just very, he has a very regal sense about him. And they show her training and, you know, them blocking each other and trying to get each other And it is the best montage, not really montage, but it's the best scene that pays homage to those old school fighting, Chinese fighting movies, the martial arts movies. It is, oh, it's just so fun to watch. It's just so entertaining. And right near the end, the bride, the bride Goes to kick him and his, her foot gets stuck between his legs. He just looks at her, spins and flips the bitch. And then just stands there with the most ridiculous maniacal laugh. And it is just cinema gold. The people who tell me they don't like Tarantino films. Or they don't like just Kill Bill 1 and 2 in general. Blow my mind because these are so entertaining Like, they've got a bit of everything. They've got the blood. They've got gore. They've got fantastic score. They've, you know, got martial arts. They've got comedy. They've got everything. They have everything. They are just, oh, chef's kiss of the film. Just chef kiss to the film. Chef kisses Tarantino. Chef kisses all round. (laughs) So we end that little scene, and then we go to further training, and she... I'm sorry, but Mai is, like, the best character across both films. (laughs) Him and Charlie Brown from part one. (laughs) Every time he goes to leave a scene, he, like, flips the beard over his shoulder and has this most ridiculous look in his eyes. And it is just, oh, it's too much. It's way too much. Tarantino, you're killing me, not Bill, because this is too much. But he teaches her that, you know, she needs to be able to um, attack and defend herself regardless of how close or far away the enemy is. So he punches a hole through wood that is literally like three, four inches away from them. And so she tries to do the same thing and you know, you're know you watching her focus and, and try to punch through the wood but her hand's just getting grazed and bloody and it's kind of gross. And then he turns around and goes, it is the wood that should fit your hand. And not the other way around. And you know. He's right. (laughs) So then we witness the rest of the little. You know training montage. And she's walking up the steps. With the pails of water on her shoulders. And you know doing the moves. And still trying to get her hand. Through this damn board. (laughs) And you know we get. You know throughout this montage. You see snippets of. Her training. But it's just like. Her silhouette against like a red background, and it's very, very martial arts like early martial art films, and it is, ugh, it's just so cool to watch. <laughs> it's just so entertaining. I just I love it, love it, love it, love it. The second drinking game. Every time I say love it, <laughs> taking shots. So love it and Tarantino, take a shot. And we get to, uh, pretty much the end of the little. Montage, and they're sitting together at a table, pai mai, and uh, the bride, and they're sitting together and they're eating rice. And obviously, her hand is fucked; like her hand is so screwed from trying to beat the shit or try to get through this wood, <coughs> and it's so painful that you know she goes to pick up the chopsticks, and it's too much for her; she can't use them, so she throws them aside and she goes to eat using her hands and. Paymai is like, fuck this. No. (laughs) if you want to be treated like a dog, then eat like a dog and you can eat out of the bowl with your mouth. Otherwise, pick up those fucking sticks because you're a human and you will be treated as such. So we get that and she attempts to use the chopsticks and she keeps using them for a little bit. And then the scene cuts and we get back to present day where she is in the coffin. So you see her in the coffin and she's got the flashlight, she's looking around to see what she can do and she realises that the belt that is holding her feet together or tied together is actually really only around the boots and it's not very tight. So she manages to wriggle her feet out of the boots which obviously means she's got her legs free now and she manages to sort of uh, maneuver one of the boots up to her, which has a switchblade in it. Because why wouldn't it? <laughs> How convenient. <laughs> so she pulls out the switchblade, manages to very awkwardly cut free the rope around her wrists, and then we see her put her training to the test. She's knocking around on the roof of the uh, coffin. She finds a weak spot in the wood. And she starts banging the shit out of it. (laughs) You see her hand get a bit bloody and a bit banged up from banging up the wood. (laughs) Until she eventually starts to make a crack. And it slowly, you know, the dirt on top slowly starts to cave in. And the coffin is, you know, starting to come apart. And you get this awesome shot of like the camera is looking at the coffin and then it starts panning up as you see her crawling through the dirt but the dirt's also caving in a bit and i don't know what it is about this scene but it just i don't know it just looks cool until eventually we get that iconic scene that we've seen in time and time and time again in so many movies is you're looking at a grave from the outside and all of a sudden bam the hand, her hand just comes through the dirt of the grave and the camera is just showing her hand through the dirt and it's just, it's so iconic. If you're a fan of horror movies specifically, like, you you know this scene. It's in so many and it's so good. So obviously she's clawed her way out and then we get a scene of a cafe, like a little diner, and this guy who's just standing there drinking coffee behind the counter is watching What essentially looks like a zombie walking towards him. (laughs) Awkwardly like limp to the cafe. She opens the door (laughs) and she is a wreck. She is covered in dirt. She, She literally looks like she's just come out of the ground, which she has. And he's just like, what the fuck? And she sits down and she asks for a glass of water. And that is the end of chapter eight. We're so close to the end and yet so far away. This movie goes for two two hours and 17 minutes. We're up to chapter 9 out of 10 and we're only an hour in. I've still got an hour and 17 minutes to go. So you're in for the long haul, people! (laughs) You're in for the ride. And then chapter 9, L and I. So chapter 9 starts with uh, back to present day, we're seeing Elle, which, as we know, she was the one that was going to buy the sword of Bud. And she's driving this beautiful Pontiac Firebird. And it's this gorgeous shot of Elle, or Daryl Hannah, who is just stunning, with the hair being blown in the wind, and her driving and swerving down the, the freeway, and... oh it's just gold and so she arrives at bud's trailer and you get you know she's parked the car and she's walking out with the suitcase full of cash to bud and then we get a shot of the bride the one and only bride walking through the desert it is hot it is steamy it looks disgusting i hate the heat i need to move from australia this is giving me flashbacks of summer just no (laughs) just no um, you see her walking and then she gets to Bud's trailer where she can see Elle and Bud uh, at the door of the trailer and then we finally get that iconic music we get the one the only <laughs> that little little ditty <laughs> it's just oh it's so good it's so iconic it's so tarantino so then we go inside the trailer where l and bud are talking just shit talking really and bud grabs a suitcase of money and he opens it up counting the money when he moves a couple of the stacks and there's a fucking snake and this this motherfucker this motherfucker is pissed off He's like, bitch, I've been sitting in this suitcase for far too long. I'm going to attack the first thing that comes at me. And, of course, that's Bud. So the snake just, like, attacks his face. And then he starts to weaken and the venom's going through him. His face is starting to swell up and he he passes out or collapses. And then Elle looks over him and goes, Bud? let me introduce you to my friend the black mamba black mamba this is but and then she goes on to explain why she really likes the black mamba and how it's deadly and how it's neurotoxin is one of the deadliest um natural toxins and then she tells him that first is paralysis And that if bitten in a place like the thumb, it can take up to four hours for a human to die. But, and of course there's a but, if bitten on the face, much like our friend Bud here who's now in paralysis on the ground, it can take just a mere 20 minutes for a human to die from paralysis. And so Bud finally dies or dies from the venom. And you see Al going to collect the cash that was originally going to Bud And she gets a call from Bill and she's like, I'm so sorry, but she killed him. She put a black mumbo in, you know, his camper and blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Really? Just some random bullshit about that. And then, then she goes, well, if you're feeling sentimental, go to the grave site of Paula Schultz. Lay some flowers because you'll be at the resting site. Of Beatrix kiddo aka the bride full name in the flesh so then Elle goes to leave the camper and you in true Tarantino fashion see these two feet that clearly belong to Beatrix aka the bride just coming at it <laughs> So she kicks her into the camper and or trailer and then we get this fantastic, ridiculous fight scene between Elle and the bride, or Beatrix. And then during the fight, we see that Bill never got rid of the sword and it was actually in his golf clubs. And Beatrix pulls it out and To my brother, Bud, the only man I ever loved. Oh, how poetic. <laughs> And Elle proceeds to tell Beatrix, the bride, that she poisoned the fish heads of Pei Mai, and he's now dead. So <laughs> this wonderful master has just died from poisoned fish heads. I always found that funny. It's just like so not what you would expect. You'd think he'd die in some ridiculous over the top fight. No. Poisoned fish heads. And then we get this wonderful shot of a zoom in on Elle's face and she's just like oh, that's right i killed your master and now i'm going to kill you too with your own sword no less it's just it's so over dramatic i love it it's so good and then we get this wonderful drawn out start a uh, staring scene where they're just staring at each other and you get the zoom in on their eyes and you get uma thurman's eyes which are just stunning and then you get this really quick shot of uh, Daryl Hannah or Elle's eyes. And all of a sudden, POW! <laughs> she, she's fucking caught her eye. Like, Uma Thurman has just, like, grabbed so fucking fast the other eyeball out of the socket from Elle. And it's just. Like, what the fuck? And then Elle's just, like, screaming around. Well, you've got Uma Thurman just standing there with her arm up with a little eyeball sticking out of it. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> and, then, and you just see um Elle just flailing around in the background like, You fucking bitch! Where are you? I can't see you now! Where'd you go? I'm gonna fucking kill you! <laughs> All the while, Beatrix, the bride is just walking on through, <laughs> leaving her there in the background flailing around with no eyes, you know, she walks out the door, and yeah, there you go. The end of chapter nine, which brings us to our last chapter, face to face. So the last chapter begins with a sorrowful or a sad song over a grassy landscape, as Beatrix, or the bride, travels to a small hut brothel, run by a former father figure of Bill's named Esteban Vidal. Esteban points Beatrix towards a nearby villa where Bill is, as Bill had asked Esteban to give his location away. Beatrix arrives at the villa with a gun in hand and the sword on her back, but is horrified as she comes across Bill to find her daughter next to him. Like, could you imagine that? Like, thinking that, you know, all this time... You, when you were pregnant back during the shooting, the, you know, the massacre, and you think you've lost your child, and you're completely distraught, you've come to terms with it, just to walk in one day and just find her there? Like, oh my god, my heart. Like, no. <laughs> just no. She plays along with them for a while until she puts BB to sleep by watching Shogun Assassin. Bill tells of his favourite superhero and compares the hidden identity crisis and power problems with Beatrix. This scene where they're discussing the super uh, superhero, you know, capabilities and such is one of my favourite scenes across both films. It is just, there's just something really warming yet terrifying about it. Because you know that they want to kill each other. Beatrix then, having been shot with an anesthetic needle by Bill, gains control of her limbs and joins him outside at the backyard table. The two discuss the motive behind the planned assassination of her and everyone. She then utters her battle beginning line, you and I have unfinished business. And Bill swipes at Beatrix beginning a chair-doned battle. This final fight scene between Beatrix and Bill is so good it is so fast but it is so good and the music and the sound effects and everything about it it's it's just you know perfect <laughs> it's just oh it's just perfect it's so old school I love it it's oh, look if you ever seen these movies go watch them now because both of them are just fantastic Beatrix within seven seconds overcomes Bill and uses the five point palm exploding heart technique taught by pay, Pay Me to kill Bill. She gives a sorrowful goodbye as he takes five steps into the backyard to his death and then goes to collect BB her daughter. The chapter ends with Beatrix getting in her blue car with BB and starting the engine before the scene is taken to the next morning sequence. And with that being said, we have come to the end, the very end of our two-part special, Kill Bill 1 and Kill Bill 2. Hoping, fingers crossed, next week Jess and I will be back together again for another fantastic Tarantino film to keep the ball rolling on Tarantino Month. But until then, follow us on the socials, GRU2Movies, G-R-U-E-T-W-O underscore movies on both Twitter and Instagram. We do have a massive Tarantino tournament going on at the moment where you can vote for your favourite movie to win as they battle it out against each other. Um, at the time of this release, there's still 24 hours to vote on Twitter for the first round and then we start round two. So go check that out. There's a lot of fun stuff going on in the socials. We'll hopefully be together again next week and we will see you soon. Bye! <laughs>